it isn't that the elves in Lord of the Rings and the prequel are boring. Well, they are boring, but why do filmmakers not just cut them back to like Orlando Bloom with a bow and very few words? What are they saying? In the uh, the origins, the new origins of the Ring of Power, whatever it's called, the new, the prequel, at the beginning, as it opens, it says, nothing was evil in the beginning, says the whispery voice of the young Galadriel. Then she appears in white. She has white hair, blonde, blonde hair. All white boy children sink her charming origami boat. Then a larger white boy elf gives her a wee speech about the darkness beneath the water and the light above in pristine BBC English, because that is, after all, where all things pure, white of the light and looking up come from. He says, do you know why a ship floats and a stone cannot? Because a stone sees only downward. The darkness of the water is vast and irresistible. The ship feels the darkness as well, striving moment by moment to master her and pull her under. But the ship has her secret. For unlike the stone, her gaze is not downward, but up, fixed upon the light that guides her, whispering of grander things than darkness ever knew. Then the bright girl answers, but sometimes the light is reflected in the darkness of the waters and it is difficult to know what's up and what's down. How am I to know which lights to follow? Then, clever, her bright brother whispers to her something we can't hear. And he, then she says, that seems so simple, the whisper. Then he says, the most important truths often are. I have not much to say about where all this light brightness is going. It doesn't matter. I just wonder what the masses of people watching this, no doubt, hugely successful Tide commercial make of it. Are they hearing the words? The luscious strings of the soundtrack? Or are they just mesmerized by all the whiteness, the blue eyes and the prettiness of pretty much all? She finishes up by saying, we had no word of death, for we thought our joys would be unending. And I thought, what joys? And as I remember the Council of Elrond from the Fellowship of the Ring, sumptuous to look at and mercifully short to hear, these same white people, sorry, elves, are the good people. They are so good they mostly suffer because the rest of us are so bad. It is their job to do their best to the point of their own annihilation to save us. In fact, back to the prequel, a legion of elves went to war. The music becomes forbidding. Silvery swords are drawn by young white men dressed all in white. The breeze which has been blowing since the beginning of the episode, ruffling well some blonde locks of everyone involved. They leave their home, Valinor, <laughs> and go to Middle-earth, where they go east, where they battle not white creatures, orcs, evil and mindless as zombies from further east. 
The white army wins, but only just, and the land is now full of orcs who are growing in numbers, threatening to take over the world. Okay, does this ring any bells? It's not so much that it's being made, that the people who are making it are clueless about dragons, for one thing, but they are clueless, but are they clueless enough not to see what they are doing? The dragon thing is all wrong. Dragons are ancient serpents full of ancient wisdom. Serpents were seen this way east and west for centuries. And even that day in the garden, he is wrapped around a tree of knowledge. Suddenly here, mythology gets deep, interesting and complicated, which is the function of myth. They are not faithful, fire-breathing Dobermans who only work for simpering aristocratic blondes. They're greater than humans. They, in fact, have dominion. Were born before your sky guy ever gave it to you. If you like, they are godlike. Or maybe rather more the competition, the other guy, the one who fell. The big question for me is, why does it work? The story of a pure, good, holy warrior tribe whose job is to protect halflings and inferiors from the forces of evil to which they are otherwise susceptible. All the while, semi-liturgical music howls with the wind. Maybe it will flop. I hope it does, but I doubt it. I'm immune, not out of any good wisdom or anything like that. Just that the L, what, just that, the elves are saying what the elves are saying has no purchase on me at all. No more purchase than a crawly not played by a Maggie. I am saved by my boredom. English actors have a habit of singing lines they have learnt with not much conviction. I will experiment with the above lines and see if I can make them persuasive, but I doubt it. The easiest way to do that is to believe what you are saying. What are we getting out of these platitudes? Their concerns about lineage, their moral superiority, their guardianship of the world's mor morality. Whoever in modern society would identify with these people so, fail, so pale their eyebrows disappear. The talkings in Lord of the Rings are never the most interesting bits. It is a quest story. I mostly paid attention to the inn at Bree, the parties, even at five years old, the eating and the drinking, the ways of tricking the Nazgul, their terrifying horses, the scary stuff. Love the dragon. And this has pretty much not changed. I've read it two or three times, the whole, the whole trilogy. I always slept during the councils of Elrond. Maybe my mum, my original reader, lost conviction there too. Who is this pompous invention, the elves for? Otherwise, in mythology, elves are tricksters, likely to finish your shoemaking while you sleep. Otherwise, not well behaved. And, you know, after years of playing Shakespeare, I got an inkling, but still I never identified with Hamlet, even while I played him. Laertes is much more interesting. Is he transcendent? Is that the deal? Does he transcend when he lugs the guts of a man he has killed for no real good reason into the neighbor room? 
Aren't we watching and identifying with an elite, a prince of Denmark, because that is what we wish we were? Isn't this what the whole canon is about? See how badly the toffs behave? Yes. But the play has their name. I was really absorbed in this stuff for a decade without questioning, mostly because it is quite a thrill to deliver long, complicated speeches while standing still as possible. It seems one exudes a kind of grandeur, a sex appeal, something. And I can attest that after playing one of these people who never shut up, one does feel one's sleep is well earned, were it not that you often had bad dreams. The exercise of saying long-winded, wise, well-written stuff, in other words, seems to satisfy a need, and then it doesn't. It was as though it was as if I had had enough. I'm now at the point where Macbeth becomes more appealing to work on on camera, so one's enjoyment of psychological exploration isn't ruined by having to shout, inhabiting articulate evil, or in Macbeth's case, possession is tremendous fun, and I think it is interesting to watch. And somehow Denzel Washington did that. From serpents to dragons, we people seem compelled by evil. Let that be. It is fun. I don't really need to know why, but the real aristocrats of their day did not play victims. That may be what elves and the ghastly lot in Game of Thrones is supposed to be. It is the return of the great babbling babes of yesteryear that we cancelled for a moment in time, but found we couldn't replace. It is maybe why succession is called Shakespearean, or the idiot press thinks it is Game of Thronesy. Then I wondered, watching episode the two episodes of the prequel to Lord of the Rings, the origin of the rings. I wondered why the hobbits and the dwarves in episode two of the prequel suddenly popped. It might be the actors, Lenny Henry, definitely the script, but it might be that they are faceted. Not many faceted, not multifaceted, just faceted. Two facets are plenty in Middle Earth. Suddenly the blood quickens, there may be a joke coming. Or the great scenes with the dwarves raging at their elf superior, maybe knowing he wants to have dinner to bore them. Dwarves are sexy. Dwarves are sexy and angry, not dwarves. Hab hobbits, habits, hobbits are afraid of the world, human, not elvish. And there is the Game of Thrones prequel, same thing, the royals just say really stupid stuff and un uninterestingly, they're not Shakespearean, no need to stretch your ears and brains, this is boring without poetry. A queen is pregnant, after a scene of Yes, I Love You, the king is told she will die giving birth. Topical. And of course, he does the Mississippi thing and orders the baby be cut out, but the baby dies anyway. So lots of ruing and weeping, 20 minutes of muddy, uninteresting stuff. Why? I may be missing something here after old men on the Supreme Court seem to be obsessed by women dying in childbirth. So I'm probably out of step. I'm not trying to condemn this gruesome interest, but I'm trying to point it out and say that when your society flirts with totalitarianism and fascism, this might be the kind of fodder they will be glued to late at night.
My point is not why we are in, why why are we interested? It is it is more to note that we are. And while opinionators who seem to all be huge GOT fans thrash around with knotted brow trying to answer why, they might ask themselves. We are obsessed with royalty or superior people elevated by something mysterious. I wonder why. It's in the blood. Both stories are addicted to the theme. Thou, thou wast born of whoever. Even bastards of kings become special. Half-bloods. Ooh, the common mixed with the royal. Now, it's been with us for a long time. Gilgamesh and Beowulf were princes, Hector and Achilles. In my Vikings book, they in my Vikings book, they point out that there was another class of men who built ships, made weapons, grew food, made beautiful jewelry, and sang the songs that made the warriors famous, even rode the ships while their princes went to hacking. Battle was not life, except for the lords, the knights. The rest, did they love? Heroically rescue sheep? Enter literature. Thank you, Thomas Hardy. Yes, thank you, D.H. Lawrence. Times have changed. The stories should catch up. I'm not a should fellow. I won't say that. But I would say that while journalists scurry to laptops to ponder why, how close we are to fascism, they might think about the big bucks raked in by Downton and the double R's. Oh, yeah, I watched them all. Well, read them. I watched the Jackson Vigo version of The Big Three once. That was an achievement to me and how it held my attention, though I did not know even then it was a cultural myth for today. We had become too realistic, too self-critical, and the fellowship was affirmation, simplicity. Whether your RR is J or G, the story is the same as a nostalgic Disney ride called Eurodom. The great reassurance that while our shadow version of democracy gasps and wheezes and easily disappears, our real and actual souls will be fine when the king returns. Grimm's and Anderson's told better stories or collected better ones until Hollywood got them and made them about singing and princes. The hero in the 13th Warrior film has maybe 10 lines in the movie. Is this why the confounded media tried to bury this brilliant version of Beowulf? I love the elementals, Mads Mikkelsen, etc. I'm as Viking addicted as the next guy. But the elf fantasy, the aristocratic base metal of Game of Thrones just sends me to sleep. The stories, their preoccupations put me to sleep. But when I'm awake, I wonder what new chimera my civilization has come up with to reassure themselves and justify their ongoing atrocities. I'm reading History of the Vikings. As I said, there is an idea that sticks in my head. Aristocratic warrior. Ha ha ha. Imagine. From Achilles to Arthur, in some sense right up to World War I, things have changed. Imagine Donald Jr. and Eric in the vanguard. I would say that if aristocrats have a use, it would be war. The absence of both would be an immediate blessing. But I guess too late, war has been democratized. So the main function of media is to convince the young who will become the armies there is a reason to fight. Convince them even though there will be no sharing of the spoils. The effort 
The brainwashing to do this must be immense. And what else goes with it or comes with it? This task is so overwhelming, so corrupting, that it may might be part of the success of these great blubbering productions, glorifying every warrior, whatever the cause. The TV shows are about books about aristocracies. Some scholars estimate this demigod system has been with us since agriculture. Some think it has always been with us, whatever the discoverable truth. They are still around in our values, hierarchies, and societies. And I do imagine that large numbers of us will listen intently to the opening lines of the rings of power. I did, again, for the purpose of this essay. And I now know why I paid no attention the first time round, Because my theory is that we will flirt with fascism for the foreseeable future because we like it. The last legacy of the European is that we once ruled the earth. We haven't gotten over it. Is that what we're missing? And the monist, monastic Celtic mishmash of Rivendell and Enya? I think it might be for me in that first few lines. I'm more akin to the stone that goes down into the water. The value and emphasis of my culture is to be the boat always looking up whispering of grander things than darkness ever knew. The little I know of pre-Christian mysticism would never see life like that. Last line. It is a Christian statement. It's fatal flaw. And it's the root of fascism.